Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Before we start episode 50 of Iggy's Sports Talk with an interview with Brett Lauren, I wanted to take this time to really take a step back and thank each and every one of you for taking the time out of your day, whether it was a second or whether it was 30 minutes, to listen to this podcast because it's it's extraordinary thinking about that I have recorded 50 episodes and had the opportunity to live my dream of talking about sports and talking to former or current professional sports players and be able to help them share their stories and their experiences through my own platform. It, it's, it's quite honestly a dream come true. And it's incredible that I've had the opportunity to record 50 of these episodes. And I want to say this one last time. Uh, I really appreciate it so much for everybody that took their time out of their day to search Iggy's Sports Talk in either Instagram, Facebook, whatever, to just take a second and watch my content and honestly means the absolute world to me. And if you're somebody that is listening to this podcast right now and you're passionate about something and you want to talk about it, go and do it because this sports podcast didn't just come out of nowhere. Uh, I, I was going into my junior year of college having no clue what I wanted to do when I graduated. And it was just a split second of me realizing that if I had the opportunity to wake up every single day and talk about sports, it would be a dream come true. And I went out of my comfort zone, started a podcast, and just went for it, went for my dream. And with social media, with all the stresses and anxieties around this world, never allow anybody to tell you that you can't do it or that you can't live your dream. Because right now is the perfect moment to start anything. To start anything. If it makes you happy and if it's going to allow you to live your life to the fullest, go and do it. And don't allow anybody to tell you that you can't. And if you're nervous about not getting viewers, about not getting guests, or anything like that, just know that it all goes with the process and that throughout the journey, you are going to learn. Because when I started this podcast, I knew nothing, nothing about podcasting, nothing about getting guests, or really even how to talk for more than 15 minutes by myself. But it's a whole learning experience, and it's incredible to be able to connect with people that I've been able to. But when you do it yourself and you're passionate about something and you have the opportunity to do something that makes you happy, it's very fulfilling. So I'm going to leave each of you with this, and then I'm going to start the interview with Brett Lauren. But I just wanted to take the time to really thank each and every one of you for really allowing me to live my dream. And I wanted to sort of share some motivating tidbits in that little intro right there. And just remember, everything happens for a reason. You only live one life. You only have every second 
in this life and every second is worth it. Just be grateful that you woke up today and that you have the opportunity to be able to be around the people that you love, people that support you. And if you are listening to this right now and you have something that you want to talk about or share or something that you're passionate about that you want to go out and do, I'm going to say this one last time, go out and do it. Never allow anybody to tell you that you can't because you can. And if it's something that makes you happy, go and do it. So thank you guys so much for listening to episode 50 of Iggy's Sports Talk in this little intro. Thanks so much for listening to this as well. But now let's get into the interview with former professional baseball player and current host of Two Tall Sports Podcast, Brett Lauren. Let's listen to it right now. What is up, sports fans? My name is Jake Nazuski, Jake Iggy, or Iggy for short, and this is Iggy's Sports Talk. So I greatly appreciate everybody tuning in to another episode of Iggy's Sports Talk. And today, I have a very special guest on the show with me named Brett Lauren, who is a former professional baseball player and is the host of Two Tall Sports Podcast. So how's your day going so far, Brett? Good, man. What's up, Iggy? How you doing? I'm doing good so far, my man. It's uh, up here in Plymouth, New Hampshire. The snow just finally started melting a little bit. So it's nice that the sun is now out and now it's not like below 30 degrees every single day. But where are you located right, right now? I hate to say this, but I'm in Southern California. So it doesn't Ooh. get much better than this. <laughs> I yeah, feel that's, bad that, for you, man. <laughs> that sounds amazing. Damn. You got, you got, you got the sun beating on you. You're able to go down to the beaches. Great. Yeah. Nowhere better, man. I've been around the country, like you said, playing baseball. And I've always just wanted to come back to California because it's hard to beat. That's awesome. Well, I, I mean, I, I bet it, it's been pretty tough, especially, you know, during these last six months to a year being in the state of California, sure. it, especially with the lockdown and Newsom and all, all that sort of stuff going on. But um, in terms of just like 2020, just like looking back on your year, obviously very unprecedented time. But it was a time where, you know, a lot of people had the opportunity to grow and learn more about themselves. And so just looking back on 2020 as a year as a whole, what would be the best moment uh, that you can look back upon and really think about as, wow, that was a great moment in 2020? Probably the day I started my podcast. So last year in May, May 4th, actually, it's Star Wars Day. May the 4th be with you, I guess. I'm not even a huge Star Wars guy, but that's the first day my first episode came out. So I've been in the residential solar uh, panel industry for the last four years, and I was with a big company, and I got laid off during the pandemic. And it really did, just like you said, give me a chance to step back, see what I'm passionate about. Um, I decided to stay in solar, but as like an independent contractor. So I still do that, still helping people go solar, which is great. And I believe in it and all that stuff, but it gave me a chance to, you know, getting let go sucks, but mm -hmm. it gave me a chance to see like, what am I passionate about? And I don't know. I've always been passionate about I, like, I'm comfortable on the microphone. Like I, I have a huge network from baseball and, uh, maybe broadcasting was in my future. And everyone always told me, yeah, you have a good voice. You should do broadcasting mm -hmm. or right, whatever. And so my buddy and I started together and, you know, he kind of fell off and then I just took the reins and, and went with it. And I have a buddy who helps me produce it. And so we created the two tall sports podcast and we're in the gear just for everybody who's checking it out. Um, that was probably the biggest day of 2020 for me was the, when I dropped my first episode, I was nervous. Uh, you know, they call it, they have that imposter syndrome where it's mm -hmm. like, do I belong here? 
Am I going to be good? Is anyone going to listen? All those mm-hmm. things were there, yep. but you just got to go for it sometimes. And so I started the podcast and it's almost been a year since then. And it's been great. Yeah, that's incredible. And I, I always kind of go about the same mindset really in sort of the uncertainty times that, you know, come upon us in, in life of everything happens for a reason. And that, that's, that correlates exactly sort of with the situation that happened with you. And I bet you, it must've been pretty cool for you to really start planning out this podcast and getting excited, sort of getting back into that realm of baseball and hearing and talking about different baseball stories from your past and that sort of stuff. But how is sort of your progression over the last year doing the podcast, Ben? Because I, I know at least for myself, looking back a year from now when I was doing my podcast, I mean, you learn so much. It's crazy. Definitely. I knew nothing about the industry, right? I, you know, you can't just record something and put it on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You have to like apply and you have to use a hosting yep. site and you got to get mm-hmm. the right equipment for your audio and video. And there's just a lot of stuff that, you know, you just got to dive in and you learn and you ask questions and you, you know, you just people are willing to help. The podcast community is generally pretty cool, pretty chill. They want to help people. Um, I think I, it took me time after I retired from baseball in 2014 to, I wanted to get away from the game. I didn't want to, not that podcasting was in my like brain at that point, but I, mm-hmm. I didn't want to, I just took a step away from baseball. Like, I just don't want to talk to anybody about it. I didn't want to watch games on TV. I wanted nothing to do with the game. I was burnt out and I was just ready to move on. Um, but it, I just, it kind of brought me back and it gives me a chance to reconnect with old teammates and coaches and, you know, sports psychologists and writers and just people connected with the game. And I think over the, you know, being able to deliver somebody, the average sports fan, a behind the scenes look, because I've played, I have a little more credibility and the mm-hmm. people I can get, I have a little, a little easier time with. So, you know, what, what I tell people is you don't need me for going over my fantasy football lineup or trade evaluations or free agency moves. You don't need me for that. What you mm-hmm. need me for is the stories and the inside scoop of what it's like in the minor exactly. leagues, what the mindset is of these guys you know, how, what, it like, what happens when you leave the game? What's that transition mm-hmm. like? All those things. So being able to deliver that to people has been a, a lot of fun. So I've enjoyed just, even if I get 10 people to listen, that they get an inside track on, on the real world of professional sports. I completely agree with that. And, and that's something that I think has become super popular, uh, especially obviously during the pandemic when people needed, find, needed to find things to do. But at least for myself, I've gotten really interested in learning sort of like you said the behind the scenes of the ins and outs not only of baseball but like also other sports as well uh and you're starting to see guys like i don't know if you've heard of the podcast i am athlete uh with brandon marshall uh fred Fred taylor and chad ochocinco but i i mean that that's another great example of them bringing on guys i mean i just watched one with them and cam newton and i'm a big pats fan and really just getting to learn about cam newton outside of the jersey the helmet and just the person himself uh i gained massive respect of him and you learn so much stuff as well and and you brought up as well not not only just like the athletes but also psychologists all these different people to where you learn stuff about the sport that you've been playing all your life which you never knew before it's because like everybody's good in professional sports and even the mm-hmm. low level minor, minor leagues, like these are the best college and high school players. Right. And then you got the Latin players coming in from, from central America that are, that are also really good. So you have the best players in the world and you got the, you know, Asian countries and all that. So how, everyone's good. How are you going to separate yourself? So it's, there's a lot of mindset and tools and stuff like that, that can 
take your game to the next level and the work ethic and all that stuff. But yeah, the behind the scenes stuff, like the, 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 the bus trips and the mm-hmm. crappy food you got to eat. And you know, you're in the middle of nowhere. Like it really, it's, you know, and the staff that has to do it too. And so I like talking to people that are not always players. They're like, like I said, the sports writers and sports psychologists, because they get to write about the game and cover it from a different perspective as well. So I like to get, you know, different thoughts on the game and just bring interesting people on. 1000%. And I bet it also must sort of be sort of like a, a nostalgic sort of feeling for you as well, bringing up, uncovering some, some of these stories. And I remember just like when I'm watching similar podcasts and, you know, people are talking about guys from like, you know, 2007, 2013, I, I just like flash back and I'm like, Oh my God, I completely forgot about how good of a player that was or he right. was. And, and then to hear like unique stories and unique experiences. I mean, it, it just intrigues a person like myself who's so into baseball so much more and to keep on listening. I think another good thing is for athletes, if you bring them on, especially if they got to a high enough level, they get to tell their story versus the media telling their story for them and Mm -hmm. not knowing them and shaping it a certain way. Maybe a guy had a bad reputation or something went awry somewhere at one of the stops in his career. The athlete gets to tell you, you know, the new, the new hot phrase, their truth, right? Like whatever. But it, you know, that was their experience. So you get to hear it firsthand. And obviously people like talking about their career for the most part. So you get to have, you know, let them, you know, have the floor and talk about it. But I think, if, if you can take any, you know, something from an episode that I, that I drop, then I'm happy, you know, like maybe you got one little nugget from that guy that oh, I like that. I like the way he said that, or I like the way he goes about that. Anything from that, then I'm happy. 1000%. And I, I think that goes with every single podcast. You know, I, I say to all my viewers, like if you listen to one second of any of my content, because I put so much work into it, it, it means the world to me. But sure. one, one thing that, that I think that your, your podcast gives to, not only the viewers is, uh, you, you know, you're, you're helping guys who are going up through the system, you know, g- high school guys, college guys, or even minor league players that are, are currently playing right now, you know, th- they're able to learn from the experiences that are talked about on your podcast and really take them into their own life. Because like, as you know, like the mental struggles of being a minor league player is crazy. And, and if you're able to, to learn from somebody else's experiences and apply it to your own life. I mean, it's going to make wonders for your career. Yeah, definitely. Once you realize, especially when you're going through it, it's really hard in the moment, but you don't have a lot of control over your career. You just have what you do on the field and that's all you can do. Right. Mm -hmm. You can't call yourself up. You can't, you know, move somebody else out of a spot. You can't worry about what's happening above you. As hard as that is, trust me, easier said than done, right? We used to call it playing GM. You don't want to be the GM and, well, this move means this. And then, okay, this guy got sent down. That means it's my turn. No, you'll never be able to figure out why some of these moves happen. Sometimes guys get moved up for non-baseball reasons. You know, Mm -hmm. who knows? The organization is trying to showcase a player because it was a bad draft pick and they're trying to trade the kid, you know, who knows? So You just have to stick with the mindset of every game is an opportunity for me to get better and showcase my skills, maybe not even to my organization, but to another organization that may want me down the road. So it's a tough road, man. It definitely, it's a grind as they always say, but it's just a, it's definitely an experience. So I know we'll talk about it, but it's, it's tough. 100%. You actually brought up a thought in my mind. I was watching a podcast uh, with Christian Yelich uh, and and uh, this musician named Mike Studd has a uh, has a podcast and usually brings on uh, d- different athletes. And Christian Yelich was talking about how, 
you know, the difference between batters and pitchers and how difficult it is to really stay up in the majors and how every single day your thought is if I'm in the majors tomorrow, it's a great day. And how, how difficult it is for pitchers to be able to stay in the league because and he brought up, he's like, especially bullpen guys, if you go out there and you let up 10 runs in one inning, there's a good chance your career is going to be hindered for, for, for a while. I, I mean, until guys are going to trust or until a team is going to trust that you won't do that again, but like yeah. also with batters as well, um, you know, like going through those stretches of like, you know, Oh, Oh, for four and four games. Um, but I mean, how, how did you really deal with that? Like thought and that anxiety of shoot, like I, I could be called down tomorrow. I, yeah, it, that's what I was trying to say. You got to kind of stay away from that. Right. Because mm-hmm. then every pitch you're going to be like, I hope this gets there. I hope this guy swings and misses. Like you can't think like that, right? Worry about that stuff after the game. But when you're in there, especially as a reliever, you might be in there for literally five minutes of work, right? That's all you get that day. You might get one hitter. You might get four hitters for that, Mm -hmm. whatever the inning is. You don't have time to worry about that stuff. Bog your mind down later. Right now you got to lock in. I got to get the, whatever I need to do to get these guys out. That's all that matters. So you can worry about that stuff off the field, but while you're on the field, you, there's no, you don't have the bandwidth for that. You have to focus on getting guys out. That's your job. That's why you're there. Right. Mm -hmm. So the more times you get guys out more than not, you need to build trust. So when you do have a bad outing, they go, eh, that's only his first bad outing in his last eight to 10 outings. That's consistency. That's and and they say the biggest difference between minor leaguers and major leaguers is consistency. We know when, as a coach, we can put you out there, you're going to deliver and very seldom you're not. So we can live with that. So it just comes down to consistency, honestly. Yeah, 100%. Something that you brought up, another thing that that Christian said as well, kind of connected to what you just said about how, uh, you know, when you have a bad game or even if you do have a good game, he, he said, he's like, you know, either way it is, stay in the locker room with your uniform on until you're over it and then take your uniform off. And after you get out of the shower and put your street clothes on, it's over. It's on to the next day. And yes. like, that's all you can really worry about. I, I, I found that so interesting because you, you, kind of like we talked about before, like the behind the scenes, you never really think about that. If a guy goes 0 for 4 with four strikeouts, I mean, is he going to be thinking about it on his drive home? Or is he just going to have that sort of mindset? And I obviously it, it comes with experience, uh, sure. but I, I, I found that so interesting. If I had a bad outing, I would probably carry it with me that night. You know, maybe I talked to my, you know, support system or to my parents or, you know, girlfriend, whatever it is at the time, or my sister or something like that, you know, whoever you can talk to to kind of vent. But after that night, like not even the 24 hour rule, like give me 12 hours and you're, you got to let it go. You got to have a short memory, you know, right? Like, right. and going 0 for 4, like baseball is a game of failure. You're going to go 0 for 4 as a, as a mm-hmm. position player. At some point you will plenty of times it's going to happen. Maybe you got fooled that night. Maybe you're just off, whatever the case may be. Maybe you hit three line drive shots right at people. What are you going to do? That happens. Right. Yeah. (laughs) But then maybe you get a little duck fart that falls in and that's a base hit. You get lucky. I think it all evens out. Um, But yeah, it's just, just remembering to stay consistent and don't just because you have a bad game, don't rework and reinvent the wheel. Like you just had a bad game. It's just today you were bad. You're not bad overall. You just had a bad game today. So you have to remember that it's very short term. That makes sense. And I, I think that's, I think that's a huge lesson for, you know, re- really any level of, of, yeah, of, a, of a baseball player. But um, I, how, how were you really able to, you know, get that mindset 
throughout sort of your time uh, through either, either playing high school, college, minors? Like what, when did that really like sink in for you? Um, because I, I know obviously it happens through experience and maturity, but I sure. bet during high school, you know, you, you would let that stuff bother you for like days on end, but then obviously through experience, it was much easier. It depends. Yeah. As you get older, you, you learn a little bit, you know, you're more, uh, I guess, toughened by the game per se, mm -hmm. you know, because you were talking about how do you handle failure? Yeah, that sucks. But how do you handle success too? Do right. you get complacent and do you just think you, they get, you have the game figured out? You get humbled very quickly in baseball when you think that way. Um, that makes sense. But I think once you see yourself have success, you're building the trust in your ability. So you need to know, hey, I have seen myself do well. I know it's in there. I just got to bring it out more often. Or just because I had a bad day, like I said, it's you're still the same player. You just had a bad day. Um, but when you start to see yourself have success, you need to start believing in that success. It's not a fluke. You're not just having one good game and the rest are terrible. No, you're a pretty good player. So you need to start right. believing in that success. And then, you know, like when I was in college, my the first school I went to was U of A, Arizona. And they were loaded and I barely pitched. I redshirted my first year and barely pitched my second year. So I decided to transfer to Long Beach State. And when I got there, I started to build trust because I got an opportunity and I was able to build off of those opportunities. And then by the, the, in the beginning of the year, I didn't even have a role. By the end of the year, I was the, you know, they do Friday, Saturday, Sunday starters. I was the mm -hmm. Saturday guy pitching in the playoffs. You never know what can happen over the course of a year. So if you can just stick to your plan, believe in what you're doing. Obviously, as you get older, you start talking to sports psychologists. They can help you on what to focus on then you become a better mentally tough player. So I think it's just, uh, there's a lot of factors. Obviously I know I went rambling there, but there's a lot of stuff. 1000%. <laughs> it's, it's interesting because I remember uh, like going into my freshman year of high school, my dad bought me a book, mental game of baseball. And i learned all about how the game is 90% uh, mental and 10% physical. Sure. Uh, and, and, and it's something where you don't really understand that. Uh, and and espe especially like, when, when you watch like minor league players, like you explained, like that, that's such, such an issue for them. Um, yeah. But, but I, I wanted to get into sort of um, your experiences growing up because I find it so ironic uh, with, with the name of your podcast, Too Tall Sports Podcast. And when I was, when I was doing my research be before the interview, I'm like, well, you know, that got, has to connect with something. And I see, oh, Brett's, Brett's six, seven. Yeah, that makes, <laughs> that makes sense. So I had to ask you, were you always sort of like the tallest kid growing up or did you get just like a math, massive growth spurt out of nowhere? I was pretty, like I was above average tall for a lot of my life. I was always pretty tall. And then my sophomore year of high school in like sophomore summer going into junior year, I went from like six, three to six, seven. So that's when I had the big growth spurt there, but I was, I mean, still six, three in high school right. as a freshman. So, um, but when I got to six, seven, that was like when I made the big jump and, you know, I still didn't even figure out my body yet at that point. Like I didn't throw that hard. Like I knew mm -hmm. how to pitch, like I had a curveball, and I, you know, I knew how to pitch, but I didn't throw that hard for my size. Cause I didn't know how to use all my limbs and the moving parts and all that stuff. Um, but I, you know, I played basketball. That was my, my favorite sport still is honestly. Um, I played all four years of basketball and baseball and I really didn't choose until my, like after my senior year, I just kind of knew I was going to play baseball. It was a better career chance for me to go farther, you know, basketball, I could have played division two and then graduated and that would have probably been it. So I, I went with baseball, you know, tall pitcher, you know, down the hill, got a good angle there. So I went with that and I think it was the right choice, even though, like I said, basketball is my favorite sport. But I bet like there was a lot of people as well. Like, I mean, you said that you made the decision your senior year. So I bet there was a lot of people around you who were like, what are you talking about? Go for basketball. You're, you're the tallest kid in the high school. Why don't you go for it? 
Yeah, I'm also slow. Can't jump that high, and okay. so I, you know, and six seven <laughs> at the next level. Yeah, it's tall, but you know, it's average height when you get to higher levels. And I was, I thought very long term right away in high school. I was making business decisions when I was 18 years old. I was like, Am I really gonna get to the NBA? Probably not. So right. I'm not gonna. Even though I love the sport, I got a chance to make it professionally in this other sport. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to go with that. Even though it may not be my favorite, I'm still going to go with that. So it, like I said, I, there are definitely parts of the game I really like about baseball. The competitive side, you know, striking somebody out is a big adrenaline rush. You know, it's kind of a me versus you thing. So right. it, I, there are definitely parts of the game that I love. Um, but baseball is a slow game. So it, it's, it's 100%. Great. I mean, I, I think about this a lot because obviously with, with the um, declining sort of popularity of the sport, uh, you know, anytime – uh, any anytime I play or even if I play like you know like MLB the show you know I have in the back of my mind it's it's that sort of me against you sort of sort of aurora of the game and and that's what makes it so much fun especially yeah. during the playoffs too you know there's some people but but I, th- I think it's you have to play the game you got to understand the game you know if, th- if there's a person who like doesn't really like baseball and they're a huge football guy and they like come and watch like a playoff MLB game and, you know, fans are going crazy and it's a pitcher versus a hitter. And, you know, I'm on the edge of my seat and this kid's looking back, like, why, why is this so intense? Like it's, it's a guy literally just throwing a ball. Um, but, but to us, like, it's, it's, it's like, th- this is a standoff and, and you get that adrenaline kind of like you talked about. Every pitch matters in the playoffs, right? Oh, yeah. Every, every base hit, every base runner, every run matters. Mm-hmm. So that's what's great about playoff baseball. It's just the fans are locked in. You know, it's it's it. You can feel it, right? It, I mean, 162 games. That's a long year, man. You oh, get yeah. into June, July, and August. It's just the dog days, and it's long and it's boring for people, or whatever. But October baseball is a lot of fun. So I, I do always watch the playoffs, and it's it's great. And I'm a Dodger fan. Luckily, they won the World Series last year, and the Lakers won the championship last year. It was great. Right. 2020 really wasn't. I hate to say it that bad, you know, um, yeah. <laughs> sports wise. So. Did you uh did you, did you see the uh the banner or the um the billboard that the Dodgers put across the street from Fenway? Love it. <laughs> How can you give away Mookie Betts? I know we could go off on this, but like I don't care what it costs. That guy is a top three player in the league. How do you let that guy walk? Even if you're trying to send space, save money, cut salary, you don't let a player like that leave your program. That's I'm- crazy. I'm going to say something for two minutes and, and it's, I, I'm, I'm leaving myself to two minutes. Cause I also do a Red Sox podcast as well. And oh, I could go okay. out for 15 minutes right, on this, but the, but I was actually a big, I was a big advocate of the Mookie Betts trade because looking at sort of the luxury tax, the Red Sox were going to be taxed 50%. And it was a situation where really looking at the depth of the team and where the team was, they weren't going to compete in 2020. And it was a situation where the, the salary cap or the, the, uh, salaries were so much for David Price, Mookie Betts, on top of Chris Sale, like all these other guys. And then they just signed Nathan Navaldi to a $17 million deal yeah. like the year before. And so it was a situation where as a Red Sox fan, looking at h- how many offers the Red Sox made to Betts and how many times he stated, I'm going to test free agency. It was a situation where if the Red Sox didn't trade him and he left in free agency, people would be just as mad. And it's, it's something where like really looking at the Dodgers deal and the last deal that the Red Sox offered, they're practically identical. And it's, just, it's a situation where now the Red Sox have Alex Verdugo, Jeter Downs, who's good. Sure. Verdugo was their best player last year. Jeter Downs is the future second baseman of the team. Connor Wong will probably be backup or starting catcher in the next three years or so. So it was a situation where like 
I, I was, I was very happy that they did it. And that's always been my explanation to a Red Sox fan. Um, obviously, obviously it was very tough for me to watch Mookie win a world series, but you know, I was also very happy as well for the Dodgers because they got snubbed by the, uh, by, by Houston. And, um, and it, it, but I, uh, I have a lot of respect for the Dodgers because I'm, I'm really, I'm really into um, how general managers and teams like mold their teams and what the Red Sox are doing right now with Heim Bloom, they're doing exactly, or they're trying to emulate exactly what the Dodgers are doing right now to where like your, your depth chart in the major leagues is at the top, but you always have high, high value or high profile prospects coming through the system. And with the Dodgers, how they are right now, they're going to be good for the next 15 years. That and that's really good. Exactly. And, and what's nice is that Andrew Friedman, he, uh, he mentored Heim Bloom for right. uh, like 10 years before he went to the Dodgers. So, uh, so that, that's my thoughts on the Mookie bets. And, and, and it's something where like the Red Sox, I always say it uh, in, in my podcast, they're going to be the most surprising team in baseball this year. Um, they're pitching obviously a little bit iffy. That's, that's always, that's always the thing. Sure. Um, but yeah, with, with, with LA, um, you, you can't have, you, you just can't not respect what they're doing right now. Um, but I mean, it must've been pretty cool see, seeing Bauer sign with them as well too. Yeah, it was cool. You know, he was teasing everybody on which, where he was going to go. He was messing around with the Mets fans. Like obviously he's very active on social media. So, mm-hmm. but it's cool to get him. And uh, I don't know if you want to talk about it now, but I, I played with him in the minors a little bit. So I know him a little, um, but yeah, he's, I mean, obviously he won the Cy Young last year. He's got great stuff. Um, that's a huge move. I mean, you, you win the World Series and you get better after that. And you got your boy, David Price, coming back healthy now or, you know, willing to play. Right. So they're going to be really good. Yeah, I completely agree. They're, they're, they're the team to beat. Um, yeah. But, yeah, it, it's, it's something where – was was the Dodgers always your favorite team growing up? Yeah. Yeah, I've always been a Dodger. My dad's from Long Beach and that, close to L.A. So I didn't grow up an Angel fan, thank God. You know, because I'm in Orange County, so that's closer. You know, Anaheim's pretty close to me. So, um, but they're just, that's a whole, when you go to Angel Stadium, you're just like, eh, this is a family atmosphere. Let's bring yeah. the kids. It's fun. It's like, dude, no, you go to Dodger Stadium, that place is sold out, packed, loud, passionate. Like, it's the real deal when you go to Dodger Stadium. It's historic. There's winning, a history yeah. of winning there. Like, it just feels better there. So that's the difference between, uh, going to get a lot of hate obviously but that's the difference between yankee stadium and fenway park yankee stadium is a lot of business people and people right. who are just visiting new york and going to a yankees game because it's the yankees and sure. most of the time that none of them know anything about baseball other than you know the diehard yankees fans and then when you go to fenway obviously it's a similar environment but everywhere you look there's diehard red sox fans yeah yeah but i you mean uh, one i'm tired of you guys winning by the way you can stop winning now Hey, l- luckily, uh, not luckily. I mean, obviously, I'm not happy about it. But now that TB12 is down in Tampa Bay, there's going to be a little bit of a, a little bit of a lull of uh, of Boston sports. And you know, obviously, as as, as somebody who's 22 years old, I, I think about it all the time. I couldn't have grown up in a better time period in a better city for sports success. Just couldn't. Your whole life, they've been the last 20 years. They've they've been the best sports city, title town. I mean, you guys yep. like. The Celtics got their championship. The Bru- Boston Bruins, you guys, the or, uh, Red Sox, the Patriots. Like it's enough already. You guys can stop winning now. <laughs> do you want to? Do you want to hear the uh, this the thing that I always say to people when they go, I hate, I hate, uh, 
I hate New England fans. That goes, you hate us because you ain't us. Exactly. I mean, yeah, there's nothing, nothing you could say. So hopefully LA is now back to being title town where it should be. Hey, but the only thing that I always hear as a New England fan, it doesn't matter if it's the Red Sox or if it's the Patriots. Oh, you guys cheat. That's the only way that you guys win anything. You guys cheat. And I'm like, all right, listen. There's been a little bit of that. 100%. 100%. I agree with yeah. you. But, but as a Dodgers fan, uh, was there any guys that uh, you kind of emulated your game off of or, or like really lucked up to growing up? Um, there was that good like string of rookies in the 90s for the Dodgers, like Mike Piazza and Eric Carros, mm-hmm. Raul Mondesi, you know, guys like that. I kind of liked watching them. Um, and they had some decent pitchers along the way. No, like, I mean, I don't remember anybody that was like amazing pitchers mm-hmm. that they brought up, but they had some guys back in the day. But um, my favorite player growing up was Ken Griffey Jr. He was my guy, That's right? He was like basically the Kobe of baseball for me, you know, like mm-hmm. that. He was, he was it, man. Um, so I enjoyed watching him. And then obviously Randy Johnson, even though he's left-handed, I'm right-handed, you know, the right. big unit. I kind of, I like seeing a tall pitcher dominate like that. You know, it's cool to see that even though you're really tall, you can still bring it in with power and, you know, strike right. guys out. And so I enjoyed watching, watching Randy Johnson when I was younger. That sidearm. Oh, my oh man, God. that is, that slider is nasty, dude. He's, Unreal. Seriously. Yeah. And so, uh, and so you said that you started off going to college um, at the University of Arizona. And then, like you said, you transferred to California State. And, and when, when you first started at college, uh, was your mindset and goal essentially to get drafted and, and to uh, be a professional baseball player? Yeah, definitely. I was a recruited walk-on, so I was never on scholarship. I didn't get oh, much wow. traction out of college or out of high school. I was sending pitching videos to colleges to like, hey, check me out, you know, kind of like self-recruiting. Right. Um, cause nobody was knocking down my door, which sounds crazy, but it, it was true. You know, even at my size, I just didn't get a lot of looks. Um, so I went to U of A, like I said, I redshirted my first year and they had all their scholarship guys, which is fine. I get that they're priority people. So I was like, okay, maybe the first year I, I won't play the second year. I barely pitched again. So I'm like, okay, we had a huge class come in. That's my age. They're all going to come back for their junior year. I need mm-hmm. to make a move here. If I'm going to try to play professional baseball, right. you know, like I was telling you earlier, could I have stayed and just been totally fine with it and graduated and had my four years? Yeah. But that's not my goal. Right. I was making right. business decisions long-term. And that was actually the summer of 07 was the last time you could transfer schools D one to D one same level and not sit out a year. So that's I amazing. had to do it that summer. Wow. Otherwise, like D1 to D2, I could have played right away or JC ball, whatever. Mm-hmm. But I had to make that move that summer. So I was a redshirt sophomore. Um, you know, I threw a couple bullpens for different schools, Cal State Fullerton and Cal State Long Beach. And they were both rivals, coincidentally. But and I just I went with Long Beach and they liked what they saw. And again, I kind of bet on myself there. You know, I didn't know what I, what I was going to get out of that place, but I bet on myself. They were good, too. And I, I found a role. So I just had to make a decision that was really hard. I loved going to U of A. It was a lot of fun, great school, but I needed to get exposure, man. If you don't pitch, you can't get drafted. So 100%. I needed to get seen. Yeah, that's awesome. And, and sort of how was like your time leading up to like your senior year, junior year, senior year? Like, did you sort of have like a good feeling like that? You know, there's a pretty good chance that I could get drafted. When I was going into my junior school year, so yeah, red shirt, sophomore year, I, I knew like, hey, junior year, I can get drafted after this. And so, and we, and Long Beach was loaded with guys that were going to get drafted. So I was like, if I can just fit in and, and find my place in the roster somewhere and, and pitch meaningful innings, they're going to get a lot of eyeballs here anyway already. So I want to be one of those guys that gets looked at. And when I started the season, I was basically a middle reliever. Like I didn't have a role. 
And like I was telling you earlier, you know, uh, in one season, a lot of things can change. Right. And the more I pitched and the more consistent I was at getting guys out, I became the midweek starter. And then I became a Sunday starter. And then I'm pitching Saturdays now. And I'm this number two starter by the end of the year. Right. And then I pitched a playoff game against Cal and I beat them. And so my stock just kept rising as the year went on. And so, and I, I, I got big West player, pitcher of the week one week. And so like the more I pitched, the better I got. And the, and the more people saw me. So I could just feel it like as the year went on, like, and I would get, you know, calls and meetings with scouts that are, you know, so you're starting to believe it, which is what you need. So um, as we got closer to June, that draft in 08, I was like, I think I got a shot here. So, yeah, it was exciting. That year is great. We went to the playoffs. Um, and so it was, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, that must have been a pretty cool process for you, especially like you said, going from high school, not being highly recruited. And yeah. then during your last two years, uh, really having sort of, a good amount of buzz around your name it must have felt nice obviously like having scouts reaching out to you you're like wow people are finally starting to notice me yes definitely it was great and so i have to say like the high one of the highlights is when i got drafted like i got drafted ahead of a bunch of those u of a guys that i wasn't pitching over mm -hmm. there so it was just kind of some validation like exactly right. when i finally got my shot i proved what i could do so that was kind of a cool you know side bonus of getting drafted other than going to play pro ball Exactly. And, and, and you were drafted by the Mariners in, in the fifth round in, uh, in 2008. And uh, for your first three years, uh, you started in single A. And I, I was curious, like, how tough was it um, really through that time, not really getting the chance to be able to move up? So it was actually, I mean, technically single A has three levels, right? So there's right. short season A. So a bunch of the college guys like myself, I went to Everett, Washington was my first stop. And I was there for like three weeks and I got moved up to low A. So I did get moved up in the first year. Okay. That was, I had to get used to that league a little bit. And then the mm -hmm. following year I went back to low A and then I got traded. So I didn't get, you know, one of my biggest, not regrets, but what ifs is if I would have stayed with Seattle my entire career because they drafted me, they were invested in me out of college. Could I have made it to the big leagues with them? I think the chances would have been better than when you start bouncing around. Even though when you get traded, you could look at it as, well, the Mariners gave up on me, but the mm -hmm. Pirates really wanted me. But when you leave your original organization, you're not sure how much of investment that next team has in you. Right. You know, you just don't know. So I think it, it would have been easier to stay with the Mariners, but you can't control that stuff, right? There's like we talked about, there's nothing you can do about that. You just have to go out and pitch no matter where you are. Exactly. 100%. Uh, and, and it must have been sort of interesting through that time uh, during the law of the trade uh, sort of, sort of being able to, you know, like you said, figure out this unknown of is how is this new team going to be? How how is you know this new city going to be? And how am I going to be able to you know get comfortable again? Exactly. Yeah. Well, my buddy and I were on the same. We got we're in the same trade. So like the day oh, of two days before the trade, we're on the on the bus on the way to the field, and one of us is supposed to start that day, and our pitching coach comes back right when we get to the field from the hotel. He's like. Yeah, you guys aren't going to pitch the next two days. And we're like, what? He's like, yeah, you're in trade talks in a major league deal. Uh, we can't trade a hurt player. So we need you. You're going to sit out and sit in the stands and watch for a couple of days because you guys are probably going to get traded. And we were just like, like, we, who, we didn't know about this business, you know, yeah. whatever. He, my buddy took it kind of like, oh, the Mariners gave up on me, whatever. But I took it as good. Maybe I can get out of low A finally, you know, maybe right. another team is going to boost me up or whatever. 
but it was crazy. Like we got traded while we we're on the road. So we had to go drive back to our apartment in Iowa, move all of our stuff out, go meet the new team on the road, oh, find a place to live while we're up there. And like, you can't sign a two month lease or whatever. Yeah. So you're sleeping on air mattresses and guys apartments that are already there. And Jeez. it's just a mess. Like it's hard. <laughs> That's crazy. And, and you don't even like really realize that, you know what I mean? Like you use, cause there's a lot of times where you see, you know, trades potentially for like, like you said, a major league guy. And there's like three, three names in there. And you don't really think about like, kind of like the behind the scenes of like them trying to figure out where to stay, them trying to figure out like the newness of a, of a new team. Yeah. Uh, but, but like, as well, I, I find that kind of ironic how, how like you and a friend got traded uh, because uh, I remember you Darvish, um, he got traded at the catcher, Victor or something. Um, he like, he like texted him. He's like, Oh, I just want to let you know. I just saw that you got traded. And that came out literally a few minutes later that he was getting sent with him. And Darvish goes, you're going with me, buddy. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> it was actually cool to see my name on the bottom line on ESPN. Like the it's actual cool. trade name I was like, Hey, I'm on ESPN. That's pretty cool. <laughs> That's pretty cool. But yeah. yeah, so so you spent uh, six years in the minors and, and that kind of brought up uh, an interesting uh, question that I had. So like, obviously looking at over like the last year or so, there's been a lot of traction in terms of, you know, increasing, uh, you know, or, or I'm sorry, bettering the conditions, working conditions for minor leaguers. And, you know, there's been organizations like advocates for minor leaguers, also more than baseball as well, that have really been trying to push this. And, you know, we've seen, you know, some teams really sort of put put a, um, a lot of focus on it and, you know, raising salaries and like that sort of stuff. But in your opinion, how do you think the MLB can really improve the working conditions for minor leaguers? I think these are some of the best baseball players in the world that aren't in the big leagues. There's just not enough spots. Mm -hmm. I think they deserve to be paid way better. If you think about other sports, there isn't this extensive minor league system of six or seven levels to get to the big leagues or to their, their top of their profession. You know, in football and basketball, it's pretty much practice squad or G League. And you're otherwise you're, you're up there or you're getting paid to play overseas where the money is good over there, too. Right. There really isn't that for baseball. You got a, hundreds of guys in the minors just in a pool waiting to hopefully get called up one day and you're making nothing, right? And you only get paid in the off season. You don't even get paid. I'm sorry. You only get paid during season. You don't even get paid for six months in the off season. So some guys have to get jobs who can keep a career for six months and off. Like, right. it's just a tough life. And you know, the buses are what they are. You know, you don't start flying until triple a, right? So you've got double a prospects. Some of the best players in the world in double a, that are riding the bus and making peanuts until they get called up. So it's just, it's all, you know, you're making less than minimum wage for the hours you're spending at the field. Like it's crazy, man. I, you know, they should pay, they should pay for housing. I think because instead of us making pay rent, like buy a facility and pay for their housing, pay for some of their meals, you know, all that stuff. Like you just, it's hard to live off of nothing and also right. perform at your best all the time. Like, so I definitely think there's plenty of ways you can go, but, I would start with a more of a stipend for food and more of paying for lodging as well. 1000%. That's something that I, uh, I, I have a double uh, A affiliate for the blue Jays really close to where I live. And uh, I remember like growing up, I, I had the opportunity to do like this camp where I got to interview like some, some uh, minor league players. And uh, like, my, I remember my mom was like talking with like their wives and like that sort of stuff. And she told me afterwards, she's like, yeah, do you realize that these guys only get paid a thousand dollars a month and that like they have kids too and like and they have families? And that's something where like I, I dropped a podcast episode 
right after all this stuff happened to where like all the minor league players were getting released. I call it the devastation of minor league baseball. And I, I just went off for like 25 minutes, kind of just saying, are you serious? Like it only costs a million dollars to pay your entire minor league roster. And like, these people are like, they're humans, like they're people. Like, like I understand, like they don't have whatever, like the value you're not evaluating them as major league players, but they're players on your team. Right. Yeah, it's bad. It sucked, you know, and a lot of these minor league teams are in towns that kind of depend on those, right. you know, that's their, I mean, you're not, they're not major cities. A lot of the minor league towns are small, mm-hmm. you know, it's a great thing for the fans and the community. And you can, as a fan, it's a great experience, right? You can bring the kids, they got dollar beer night. You can get close to the players. You can get autographs, you know, you can, it's way more intimate. It's a great place to watch a game. And especially if you're in the middle of, I hate to pick a state, Iowa, Kentucky, Tennessee, you know, there's no pro sports teams in these places. So this right. is all they got other than college football, maybe, or whatever, but this is it. I, it sucks. It sucks for everybody. You know, like it's, uh, you're losing jobs for not only the players, but the staff too. You're lo- I mean, everybody loses in this, in this instance. Um, do I think there's probably too many levels of the minors? Yeah. You could shorten it a little bit. You don't mm-hmm. need that many levels. Right. Um, but if you're trying to groom players to get ready for major league baseball, you need to make it better for them, right? Like I, mm-hmm. I often tell people about this, how some organizations are so strict about the minor league players. Like you can't wear your pants down to your cleats. You got to wear pants right. up and you can't have any facial hair. And it's just like, dude, let me feel like I'm going to be a big leaguer. Let me be comfortable and exactly. you know, feel good, play good, right? It, it's just so, you, they make, some organizations make your the minor leaguers feel so far away from the big leagues. It's just, it's, it kind of pushes you down mentally, you know? And makes sense. It, so I think some people have it backwards in that regard. That makes a lot of sense. But throughout your time in the minors, you've had the opportunity to play some, with some pretty uh, achieved players. Uh, and, and we brought up the name a little bit earlier in the episode, but Trevor Bauer, uh, you, you played with him in 2012 in double A. And, and I got to ask you, he's, he's one of the guys who's, one of the most controversial uh, personalities in the game right now. And I got to ask you, how was your experience playing with him? And was he kind of similar uh, when you played with him in double A? Yeah. You know, he, he beat, he's uh, what do they say? He goes to his own drum beat or whatever. beats his own drum. <laughs> he, you know, he's on his own path, right? Like when he got drafted and signed, he had some rules that he wanted to follow the team on, you know, basically leave him alone, let him do his own thing. He knows how to get ready for a game. He has an insane long toss pregame routine where he's going foul pole to foul pole. Mm -hmm. And there's the guy on the other end needs somebody in the middle, like as a middle man to catch it and throw it to him. It's crazy. crazy. It's fun to watch. Um, It's cool. So he's look, as long as you get people out, I don't care what you do before a game. Like I don't, if you're going to give us seven shutout innings, I don't care what you do. So he let it, you know, some people are, don't like that. They want you to conform. They want you to, you need to do this strength and conditioning routine. You need to run this much. You need to throw right. this way. It's like, dude, no, if, 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 if I've had success getting people out a certain way, and this is how I prepare for a game, who cares? I'm going to get people out and that's all you should worry about. I'm going to give us a chance to win. Right. Um, but yeah, does he have his quirks? Sure. And is he, you know, outspoken on social media? Yes, he is. That's part of his brand, right? He is the exactly. anti- system guy he doesn't want to be controlled and you know what it's all good as long as you're getting people out i don't care you know do whatever you want is it going to piss people off yeah it will but not everybody needs to conform to the system so i i appreciate what he's doing and he exposes some things that are kind of flawed in the system and at the same time 
he's helping the game. He's yes. marketing the game. And and that's something that when when the uh, Noah Syndergaard, Marcus Strawman, and Jacob deGrom sort of like Twitter beef happened, I looked it up on Google and you see USA Today, NBC News, CBS Sports, all these very high profile publications. I saw like 10 articles on just a tiny little Twitter back and forth. And it's something where that never happens. Like you never see that type of uh, amplified press about baseball. Never. It's because he's polarizing, right? So you're going to get those guys like those pitchers you mentioned that want to see him fail. Some people are just going to hate the way he goes about his business. Some people are going to love it because it's different. It's anti it's, you know, not, I hate to bring up Trump, but it's like a a little bit of, Hey, love me or hate me. Right. You know, it's, it's a little bit of that. Uh, so some people are just not going to like, no matter what he does, they're going to pray for him to fail, right? They're just going to hope he fails. And so when you're outlandish and you, you know, bring attention upon yourself, the minute you slip, they're going to be waiting. The sharks are going to be waiting in the water for you. So it's going to be interesting to see how he does. He did win a Cy Young and you can't really say much when that happens. So we'll see how he does with the Dodgers. Um, yeah, it's just, he's different and that's all right. And it's, you know, apparently one of my other, uh, former, um, teammates that came on my podcast he's a reliever he was talking about how Bauer was one of the big names that helped uh bring the COVID uh baseball back you know he was one of the guys that was helping for the player association negotiate Mm -hmm. hey you know we're not just going to cave for the owners to just keep bleeding this dry of money you know like we're gonna let's work on this so he was a key voice in bringing baseball back last summer during COVID so I think you just gotta understand that not everybody is the same yeah, I completely agree. Have Have you seen his? Uh, he started this podcast, uh, like four or five months ago, where he had you know different players uh come over for dinner. Yeah, uh, you see, I I found those conversations so interesting. I thought it was so ironic how he said uh he was talking about how people were saying that he used uh the the Cleveland um the Cleveland staff too much, and and he's like. Well, they're offering me and they're giving me these resources to be a better player. So why am I not going to utilize the resources to be a better player? Right. No, yeah, exactly. Like I said, he's going to do things a different way. And, you know, yeah, sometimes you get those dinner conversations. It's more candid, right? You're comfortable. You're eating food. It's a little more chill. It's not so buttoned up. And so, no, it's pretty cool. 100%. And you also got to, in 2013, you had a stacked Triple A team. I'm gonna na- I'm gonna name off a few names: Cody Ross, Trevor Cahill, Eric Chavez, Adam Eaton, DT DD Gregorius, Aaron Hill, Eric Hinsky, and Tyler Skaggs. So yeah. I gotta ask you: with all that experience on one singular team, what was it like? It's pretty cool, man. You know, you get to be around these guys, and you know, like like I was telling you earlier, half my Double A team went to the big leagues. Like if you, I could have only known that, right? But just being around guys that are you can just tell, right? When you see a guy that like for a position player, when he makes contact, like that ball comes off his bat a little bit different than the other guys, right? Mm-hmm. Or that pitcher just, man, his stuff is electric. You can just tell that guy's going to be really good. So it's cool to be around those guys and, you know, play catch with them and pick their brain a little bit, or at, at worst, just watch them up close and see how they do things and the way they throw their pitches and how they locate and all that stuff. It, it's, it's pretty cool. So yeah, definitely fun. All great guys. No complaints about anybody. You know, everybody in AAA is you're this close to the big leagues. And so there's a lot of guys that are either have made it and come down. So everybody's mm-hmm. a little salty when you get there. Right. For me, when I got called to AAA, I was like, 
I'm in AAA. I'm posting. I'm <laughs> all the way. Like, get me up there. So, and then the other guys are you walk in locked in like, you know, like <laughs> it's like, dude, this place is right. It can be tough in AAA because you're so close, but you just gotta again, you can't control it. You just gotta play your game and 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 pitch when you're called upon. So uh, no, it was a good experience. Plus, like I said, in AAA, you're on planes now. The hotels are good. True. The cities are better. And I was in Reno. I lived in a casino. It was awesome. Gambling. There you go. Decent amount, you know, <laughs> spent a little bit of time in the casino. So it was fun. That's awesome. And, and then, and then right after that, um, you went into independent ball and I got to ask you, what is the difference between the independent ball lifestyle and the minor league lifestyle? It's a great question. Uh, it's, it's like you're back in lower level minor leagues, right? So you're kind of yeah. coming off the high of, of high level minor league baseball. You're coming back down, but it's way more chill, right? They don't have you doing team defensive drills every day and, you know, mm -hmm. and doing all these, the BS stuff you got to do. You, whatever you need to do to get ready for the game, you get ready for it. Um, you still show up early. You still do your stuff, but it's way more like family atmosphere. And, mm -hmm. but those independent teams want to win. So, I think when a lot of guys go to independent ball, they're like, all right, how quick, and I was like this, how quickly can I get signed back to affiliated ball? Right. I don't want to be here, right? Like nobody wants to be an independent ball, no one, but the teams need to, like, they want to win mm -hmm. more than the minor league teams. Cause the minor leagues is all about developing guys to go up to the big leagues. Independent ball is we want to win our championships. You know, we want to win our league. So, um, but I played with a lot of big names that I was, I mean, Dontrell Willis was on my team for a little while. That's like, crazy. yeah, it's crazy. Just guys like that, like big name dudes. Um, I know I'm sure we'll talk about, you know, Bill Hall and Lou Ford and guys like that, but it's cool to play with big night, big name guys that are still playing, still doing it. Um, but I think once you get past the idea that you probably won't get signed back to affiliated ball, you start mm -hmm. to enjoy it more. Right. I'm sure if you talk to other guys about independent ball, it's not the minor leagues. It's not major league baseball, but it's pretty close and it's right. a lot of fun and the guys are great and it's just more chill and you, you kind of brings the joy back of the game for guys. Sometimes that makes a lot of sense. And and also like you brought it up, like, like there is a chance, even though you do get to independent ball, there's a chance that you can get signed back. I mean, a yeah. great, a great story is Scott Casimir. Sure. I mean, he, he's a guy that went to independent ball then he went to the A's Dodgers and uh incredible story, but uh, yeah, it, it must've been a pretty, cool way as well for you to like sort of like end your baseball career and, and and sort of like end it off on sort of a chill sort of like nice note yeah exactly and even i was going to mention rich hill he went i mean the lefty he went right. to the ball and made it back um mm -hmm. it does happen you know for whatever reason the year i was there in 2014 in long island we just didn't have guys get signed back to affiliated ball but it just it was just a random year whatever the case may be but guys get jobs in in mexico playing in, in their winter ball league there or they get jobs overseas in taiwan or you know right. so it's a showcase for yourself still um it just once you get over the fact that you might not get signed it is what it is and i honestly my first i'll tell you this my first 19 innings were scoreless okay i'm like what else do i need to do to get yeah. signed what there's nothing more i can do <laughs> and of course i didn't get signed so once i got over that and i kind of knew that was going to be if i didn't get signed to affiliateable again i kind of had mm -hmm. a feeling that was my last i was done man i was 28 seven years of minor league like i it's just it is what it is. I didn't need the game anymore. So I was ready to hang it up after that, but couldn't have pitched any better. It is what it is. 1000%. Yeah. I, I think a lot of people also don't realize that there's a lot of guys in the majors right now who do have experiences like yourself. 
six, seven years in the minors. I mean, a, a great, I mean, Joey Votto is a guy that I had no clue. I remember I looked on the back of his baseball rookie card and he played seven years in the minors. I'm like, no way. This guy's like an all-star. Yeah. Sometimes it takes a while to get up there, man. Some guys are late bloomers, right? I was kind of that way as well. Like it just happens, you know, whether you peak in high school, you peak in college or you peak at 27 in the minors and all of a sudden you figure it out. You, you just never know, but it just depends on if the organization you're with is going to give you a long enough leash for you to get to that point. So it's just, there's, there's so many unknowns and so much that's out of your control. I know I've said it a few times, but it really is the truth. Like the only thing you control is the way you play on the field and how you show up to work every day and, you know, not being an idiot off the field and giving your chance yourself the best chance to make it, you know, and if, if you can't, then you got to live with it. Completely agree. And uh, Brett, Brett, I really appreciate you taking the time to share all of your experiences today. And for the people that are listening, where can they find your podcast and what do you talk about? Yeah, so it's called Two Tall Sports Podcast. Like I said, I'm six seven, kind of playing off of that. Um, but yeah, you can find me at Two Tall Sports Podcast on YouTube. You hit, hit subscribe, check it out. I got lots of uh, former players, coaches, uh, minor league and major league guys. I got some basketball guys. I got NFL guys, um, sports writers, Hall of Fame voters, sports psychologists, which I think are the really the coolest episodes. Like I said, you get the inside track on, on what it's really like to be an elite athlete and what kind of things that they teach their players that you can apply to real life as well. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, so anywhere you can just find it, Two Tall Sports Podcast on Apple, it's on Spotify, it's on all those. Um, but yeah, check it out. It's uh, it's good. I, mean, I think everybody can get something from it. If you want the inside scoop on what it's like behind the scenes, check it out. So I, I really appreciate it. And I, I thank you for having me on, man. It's great. Absolutely, my man. Everybody, like Brett said, who's listening right now, go over, look up Two Tall Sports Podcast and check it out. Thanks so much, Brett. Appreciate it. Got it, man. Anytime. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.